Hi, welcome to Diversity in the D, Season 2, Episode 2. Um, today, we are going to talk about Michelle Blair and Bobby DeBarge. But first, I want to say I'm your host, Donna, and this is my co-host, Live. And I want to just share a couple of stories before we go jump into them stories. Um... Just news that happened around the area. I guess a man answered a knock at the, his door at 10.30 p.m. in Dearborn. The person at the door stabbed him. Police say they had no motive and the crime was considered random. The man was wearing a mask and carrying a pocket knife. The victim only suffered minor injuries. If you live in Dearborn, please be cautious. And then also, I thought this one was interesting, so I want to share it. Uh, 51 years ago... An unidentified man wearing dark suit and black shoes was found in the Detroit River. He is still unidentified. His body was found behind the Edison plant in River Rouge on April 17, 1972. He is believed to be a white man between the age of 35 to 45 years old. He would have been 5'9 and weighed 185 pounds. No eye or hair color is listed. He was found in a dark suit and had on black shoes. He had been dead for two weeks before his body was found. So it decomposed to a point where he was unrecognizable. Anyone with information, please contact the Wayne County Sheriff at 313-224-2222. The case number is 12040-72. Okay, now on to our stories. Okay, I'm going to tell you about Michelle Blair. On the morning of March 24, 2015, the 36th District Court served an eviction notice on an apartment on Detroit's, Detroit's east side. Michelle Blair was living there with her four children. It was not paying rent. She was not able to keep a job and often called relatives for money. But the calls eventually stopped when they refused to help her and told her she needed to go back to school and get a job. As they went in and started removing furniture from the home, they stumbled on a white deep freezer in the living room of the home. When they opened the freezer, they found the frozen body of a teenage girl. She was wrapped in a plastic bag. Police were called and arrived at the scene and made another discovery body of a boy that was under the teenage girl's body. Police asked neighbors where they could find Michelle and a neighbor told them she was at another neighbor's house with her two kids. After some questioning, Michelle was arrested for murder. When police took her away, they said she said, I'm sorry. The police took the bodies to a morgue after three body after three days the bodies he thawed. They were Michelle's children. Stephen Barry, who was 9, and Stoney Blair, who was 13. Their deaths were ruled as homicides, and they determined they had been in the freezer for at least a couple of years. Blair confessed to the murder, saying she returned home in August of 2012, and she saw her son acting out sexual things using dolls. She asked him, Why are you doing that? Did anybody ever do this to you? That's when he told her his brother Stephen had. She went upstairs to confront him, and he confessed. 
she began punching and kicking him, then placed a garbage bag over his head until he lost consciousness. She also poured scalding hot water on his genitals numerous times. This caused his skin to peel off. She later made him drink Windex and wrapped a belt around his neck, lifted him up, and asked him, Do you like how this feels? Choked with a belt? That's when he lost consciousness again. Stefan was tortured for two weeks and on August 30th died from his injuries. Michelle put his body on in her deep freezer. Nine months after the murder of Stefan, she said she found out that Stoney was also raping her youngest son. So she started starving Stoney and beat her until she died in May of 2013. She said she was going to turn herself in, but her youngest son told her he didn't want her to go. So Michelle put Stoney's body in a plastic bag and stuffed her in a deep freezer on top of Stefan. She said they were demons. She continued on living in her home like nothing ever happened. The children's bodies stayed in the deep freezer for almost three years. Their fathers were absentee and they, alongside Blair, had took them out of school because she said she was homeschooling them. Neighbors would ask about the kids and she would always have an excuse about where they were. At her trial, Blair said she did not feel any remorse over her actions. They did not have any remorse for what they did to her son. There was no other option. There's no excuse for rape. I would kill them again, she said. The prosecutor stated there was no evidence of rape. Her parental rights were terminated for the surviving children. CPS saw to it that the children were put up for adoption. She pleaded guilty in June of 2015 to two counts of first-degree premeditated murder and is serving a life sentence at the Huron Valley Correction Facility without possibility of parole. Rest in peace to Stoney and Stefan. I'm sorry you had a monster for a mother. So what do you think of that That's case? just sick. If people want to know the definition of demonic, that's that's the devil. That's the devil <laughs> in humans' clothes. That's wild. Like, how could you be? I don't know. I don't. How could you be that sick to do that? And not only did you take your kids' life, you sat there like ain't nothing ever happened. Like you kill your kids over some managed things. Obviously, they saw you do something. Obviously. They don't just pick up and learn that. If they've been in that house, they don't go nowhere. They learned it from in home. But the whole thing is, the prosecutor at her trial said that there was no evidence that the youngest son was ever, you know, sexually molested or touched. But she did say that she hated them in the first place. So maybe she did it out of hatred. Mm -hmm. That's how sad it is. And it was also what, the king's home? Yeah, Where that they? place is demonic. That place been demonic. I'm from down that way. That place is demonic. Always have been. That she's not the first. She's not the first mother that done killed their kids up. And there's more of them. It's, it's that place is demonic. It's it's hell. But could you imagine just? Oh, I'm gonna stuff my kids in the freezer and walk past them for three years until they come in and evict me and find their bodies. Like, <laughs> eat the devil. You eat around your table at night, dinner, and your kids are just in the freezer chilling. Like, and then for her to call the kids a demon, she's a damn demon. She's the devil. She's not even a damn demon. She's a she's the devil. Like, if you don't want kids, don't have them. Right. 
It's always you always have options to keep the lace closed. And honestly, she didn't want to do shit because they said that she didn't want to get a job and she was always asking her family for money. But she wanted to make kids a killer. Yeah, it's just sad. I feel so bad for them babies and I'm glad the other babies got adopted out. She's gonna burn in hell. Yeah, she is. Well, that was our thoughts on the Michelle Blair case. And now we're gonna go on to the Bobby DeBarge case. Bobby DeBarge, mother, Ethelene met Bobby's dad shortly after her father passed away. She was 17 years old. And Bobby's dad, Robert, was four years older. He was in the army and white, which made their relationship hard, being a black woman with a white man. He was very jealous, and Robert would torture Eileen physically and emotionally and kept her pregnant. They ended up having numerous amounts of kids. Bunny was the oldest. Bobby was the second oldest. But the oldest boy, Tommy, Rand, Randy, Marty, L, James, Jonathan, Chico, and two youngest twins, and Peaches. Young and Peaches. It is also said Robert had five children from a separate relationship while he was dating Ethelene. Wow. The DeBar children had have horrific memories of their father. My father sexually molested a lot of my brothers and sisters, Chico DeBarge told Bob, but Bobby took the bulk of the abuse. Bobby started using heroin at a, at the age of 15, more likely as a way to cope with the abuse of his father, and it became an addiction for him. In the 1970s, Bobby's parents divorced and they moved from Detroit to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Bobby and his younger brother, Tommy, began playing in local bands. In 1975, they became, they became a group with another Grand Rapids music, musician, Gregory Williams, and auditioned for Betty White's background group. White, White Heat, Heat and their debut album for Barry White was released that year. The following year, White dropped all, all but one of the musicians from the band. So Bobby and his brother Tommy and 10 other band members recorded an album in 1976 under the name Ice Cold. Paul Mall Groove. It was released in 1979 in the U.S. That year, Bobby returned to Grand Rapids, discovered that his career didn't progress and his heroin addiction got worse. After completing a demo tape for Gregory Williams it, and took it to Motown Records and the label wanted to, wanted to sign the group that was going by Switch now because of their ability to switch instruments. Bobby vowed to get clean from his heroin addiction, and Motown signed the act. In 1978, Switch released their debut album, which featured production from Jermaine Jackson and reached gold status. There Will Never Be, which was written by Bobby. The following year, 
the group hit again with Switch 2, which included I'll Call Your Name. And in 1980, they had the third album that went gold that included Love Over, Love Over Again. After the sec after the success of Bobby returned to returned to use the heroin after being successful, sober for several years, and also started using cocaine, which caused a lot of tension in the group. In 1981, things came to a head after Switch's fifth album, Switch Five. Bobby left the group after Motown offered him a solo deal, but it wouldn't be finalized until 1983. Waiting on that, Bobby co-produced and was overseeing the production of his siblings' debut album. He co-wrote with his younger brother, L. The song, Queen of My Heart, in which he performed falsetto and ad-lib near the end of the recordings. The track also reappeared on the Bard's third album, in a, Love Me in a Special Way. In 1987, Bobby had troubles producing and solo albums, debuts, and solo album career failed, so he joined his siblings group, forming the Bard's. Because, because L and his sister left the group to pursue their solo careers, Bobby and younger brother James split vocals, leads, and they recorded the album Bad Boys. In 1988, Bobby hit a wall in his career when he was convicted of drug trafficking charges and was sentenced to five years in prison. While in prison, DeBarge confined to his family that he had contacted HIV, but the, follow but the following his release in 1993, he vowed to stay clean and sign a management agreement and recorded songs he had wrote in prison. The album was released in 1995, just before his death, and it was entitled It's Just Not Over. He finally returned to Michigan and became really ill. His family sent him to the ho to hospice on August 16, 1995, at the age of 39. Bobby, Bobby died of AIDS complications. He was buried in Grand Rapids and Garfield Park Cemetery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Rest in peace, Bobby DeBarge. Other, in other interesting facts, in, in the 1950s, Bobby's dad received a license to minister and was a devoted member of the Apostle Temple Church. Robert Sr. had two children with a black woman named Barbara and married her after his divorce from Bobby's mom. Their names were Chantel DeBarge and Deborah DeBarge. Robert Sr. died on August 30th, 2008. Rest in peace to Bobby DeBarge. Yeah, that's crazy. That man was popping on kids off and right, wasn't he? Right. That's crazy how he died like literally like 16 days after Bobby died, but years later. That's another person that was sick as hell. He took out all that on his kids. And the whole thing is, he had five kids. They said that when he was dating Bobby's mom, out of that, and then all the kids he had with Bobby's mom, and then two more after. So he was just popping out babies left and right after he treated his kids like crap. You're going to have more kids? 
I won't want that fool to be my daddy. No, I wouldn't want him to be my daddy either. <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> that's crazy. But the thing is about that, what I always wanted to figure out as far as with Bobby DeBarge, like, did he, did he, kind did he catch HIV from heroin or was it was it homosexual activity? Because a lot of people, Chico said one thing and other people say another thing. So, yeah, well, I think since he was using heroin since 15 years old, it could have been from the heroin use. I mean, yeah, because so many people catch AIDS and HIV through heroin use and sharing dirty needles. Yeah, just sad. Yeah, sad how his life went though. I mean, especially after he put all his siblings on and everything else. Be so talented and for your father to just don't give a damn. Just want to make you misery and pain. And the rest, you know, the rest of the siblings, it, I don't think they went down a great path afterwards no, either. No, they all, they all turned, and that's the sad part, they all turned into <laughs> confined into drugs. And first had to be supposedly, you know, a, what, get a pastor license or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, like, that's... He's really that's, a monster. That's wild and crazy. That's how that's how majority of them be. Yeah, they do say a lot of. <laughs> yeah, they know that. It. I know that firsthand. <laughs> Don't nobody know. I know that firsthand. So, them are like the meanest, the pastors and stuff. They're strict. But it's it's just it's just wild and crazy how that that just go. I wonder if the other wonder did the other kids confined into that and another side note that bobby and chico was in prison together that was that's wild you know and another thing i read about was that i think it was jimmy or james or one of them said that bobby started doing what bobby's father was doing to him to them yeah to them so that's all he knew was being molested and sexually assaulted and beat and tortured and drugged so to expect yeah they say like sometimes when it happens to people they repeat it and yeah so that's just sad especially sad. when it's coming from your own parent mm -hmm. and this is sick parents of the day awareness <laughs> just talk about two of the sickest people yeah, figure it went together, kind of. Yeah, they go hand in hand. Because <laughs> one killed her kids and one killed her kids' spirits. So. Right. Well, you could say he killed this kid. Mm -hmm. He pushed him out into that. Because once your soul die, you basically die. Inside, yeah. So. Well, I guess we'll wrap that up for the day. And I just want to say you can follow us on Facebook at Diversity in the D. Our email is diversityinthed at gmail.com, but it's D I V E R. C-I-T-Y in the D at gmail.com. And we are also available on Amazon Music, Spotify, and YouTube. So check us out. And we will see you on Sunday. Yay! And on Sunday, we're going to be doing Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Yeah, that should be interesting. Yes, because it kind of goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand. So I figured it'd be interesting to do them together. But can't wait to see you guys then. Well, can't see you, but <laughs> check us out. See you later. Bye.